many people think that willpower is the key, particularly for health behaviors like losing weight, exercising, eating right. People think if they're not doing it, then it's an indication that they don't have enough self-control. But studies of people who are doing those things reveal something very different. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. Welcome to 2021. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Wendy Wood, author of the book, Good Habits, Bad Habits. Wendy is a professor of psychology and business at the University of Southern California and is the world's foremost expert on habits. She studies behavior change, what habits are, and why they're so difficult to break. Wendy is a true smart money mama. She's actually listed in the top 1% of scientists in any field worldwide. And we get to hear her amazing insights. How lucky are we? As we enter a new year and all try to set new resolutions to break bad habits and create new ones, Wendy has excellent advice, backed up by years of research, to help us change our behavior. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Wendy, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Wendy for the complete show notes and to download your free Meaningful Money Goal Kickstart Guide. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Wendy, welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I'm excited because I am a habit nerd. I am fascinated by all the psychology and neuroscience that goes behind it. And you're the author of Good Habits, Bad Habits, which is possibly my favorite book on habits. So thank you for writing it. (laughs) Thank you for that. Tell me a little bit about how you got into studying habits. Did you set out with an interest in habits? No, although I agree with you, they are very interesting. They're certainly worth studying, but- My interest began with the realization that so many of us are really good at making changes initially. We know what we should be doing. We can try to do it for a certain amount of time. But actually persisting, sticking with behavior is so much more difficult. And why is that? You know, you'd think that the initial change would be the hard part. And the sticking with, once you get it down, the sticking with part would be easier. But it doesn't work that way. (laughs) That's not the way the human mind is designed. So trying to understand what it is about that persistence piece that's so hard led me to focus on habit. That became the thing that I have studied for the past 30 years. Fascinating. I'm actually going to take a different direction than I was originally going to go. And I want to ask about willpower because you mentioned that we can get started. But what we hear sometimes from people in our audience is like, I just need more willpower. Like I've tried to do it before, but I just don't have enough willpower. What role does willpower really play in changing our habits? Well, you're right. Many people think that willpower is the key, particularly for health behaviors like losing weight, exercising, eating right, people think if they're not doing it, then it's an indication that they don't have enough self-control. But studies of people who are doing those things 
reveals something very different. People who are very successful at controlling their behavior and meeting their goals actually know how to form habits. And this is something that only became clear in the past couple of years in the scientific literature is research started to show that people who have high levels of self-control, they're actually not exerting it that often. They're not actually getting out there and inhibiting bad behaviors, controlling themselves, white-knuckling it through life. Instead, they have figured out ways to organize their environment to make it easy for them to repeat the desired behavior into a habit. And they just act on their habits without really thinking a lot about it. So what might look to us like incredible self-control, willpower, self-denial actually is just repeating past behaviors automatically. So I always tell people that that should be their goal, is to figure out how to form habits that will stick and meet their goals that way. It's much less painful. Well, thank goodness for that. We don't want it to be painful. And you brought up health and weight loss. We actually talk about it, obviously, more in the money side of things, where we get the same narrative, right? That I don't have the self-control to not spend a lot of money. I can't get a handle on my money. When you look at people who build wealth and are successful, they're consistently doing the same small things and even a lot of things that can be completely automated. Those people don't even necessarily think about money a lot. It's just a system that they've set up that they can do over and over that get them those compound results of wealth and whatever they were looking for. Exactly. It's the same challenge because having financial security is something that you don't do just once, right? This is not a one-off thing. This is something that you have to systematize so that you're repeatedly saving money and not spending it in ways that don't fit your budget. Do you consider yourself a person with a lot of that self-control or have you learned to kind of build habits into your life over this 30 years of study? No, I'm not a high self-control person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm someone who is very organized usually. And that helps to build habits, I think, if you have a good sense of what your goals are and ways to meet them, then that's a, a step to figuring out what are the behaviors you can repeat to make things habitual. What are some good habits that you've been able to add to your life? Well, in terms of spending money and saving money... <laughs> I stay away from websites and TV shows that are encouraging you to buy stuff. Just not being exposed to it is one of the best strategies you can have. Really, a lot of marketing is focused on our habits. When retailers try to sell us stuff, if you go into a store, there's a common saying, I level is buy level. So retailers put stuff on the shelves that you can see easily because we're more likely to buy from those shelves. We can see those easily. Those are the behaviors that we end up repeating. And we tend not to search out the products down by our feet that might be a little cheaper, 
retailers are well aware that people repeat behaviors over and over in a sort of a mindless way without really thinking about what they're doing. And many of our purchase habits aren't ones that we've thought out. They're just ones that we've practiced because they're easy. And you even see it in marketing with sales, right? Of getting you to buy the same product on sale a couple times until it's a habit. And then they take that away. And now you'll pay full price without thinking about it because that's just the type of cheese that you pull off the shelf. Exactly. That's what you've gotten used to eating and cooking with. And that's what your family knows. So that's what you stick with. That's the, that's the challenge. So Wendy, what kind of a role does habit play in our lives? So in preparation for this new year, we actually did a masterclass in our membership society a couple of weeks ago about habits. And somebody actually said, I don't feel like I really have any habits, or at least I don't have any good habits. And is that true? Like, are there people who don't have habits? No, <laughs> no, Every, everybody has habits. It's a basic learning system. Your dog has habits. That's how you train your dog. But it makes sense for someone to say that they don't have any habits, simply because habits, we're not consciously aware of them. Habits work outside of conscious awareness. And I'll describe that. When you repeat a behavior, in the same context for a reward. And the reward could be something as small as getting a good price, right? Buying something and it's on sale and you feel like you got a deal. If you do that often enough, then when you're in that context again, the behavior automatically comes to mind. And that's because you have formed associations in memory between contexts and responses Usually we just act on the behavior in mind. It's like standing in the grocery store and seeing things at eye level. We just do what is most accessible. And that's how we end up acting on habit. The person you were talking to probably never made a decision to act on habit because actually that doesn't work. Habits only form when you repeat behaviors over and over. So they form through your experience not through your decision-making. Because you don't form decisions, you don't make decisions to form habits, people aren't aware of how broadly they sort of support our lives, how much of our behavior is actually repeated on a regular basis so that we can do it without even thinking. We do, once in a while, recognize what our habits are, though, when they're ones we don't want to engage in. People are more aware of their bad habits than their good habits. That makes perfect sense. We struggle with our bad habits. We'd like to change them. Our good habits, we just accept and assume, well, it's something we would have done if we were thinking. Maybe we intended it. We don't know with our good habits, but our bad habits, we all struggle. Yeah, it was a conversation we got into about like, okay, do you read a book to your kid every night before bed? <laughs> like, do you ever consider putting them to bed without reading them a book? Like, that's a habit. You just don't realize it, right? It's just something that you do. And in your book, you mentioned that the research has shown about 43% of our actions are controlled by habits. But one really interesting line that called out to me was mothers or parents of young kids seem to have a lower habit level <laughs> than the rest of us because our kids are unpredictable. And so for moms who are trying to form habits, 
whose schedule might be unpredictable. How do we create that association, that context, and that trigger on a daily basis when our lives might not look the same on a daily basis? It is a real challenge. And let me give you some background to that finding. We initially thought that there would be some people who had really structured and organized lives and other people who had more sort of spontaneous or chaotic ones. But that's not what we found. We found that pretty much everybody functioned by habit around 40, 43% of the time, as you said, except people who lived with others and particularly people who live with little kids. One of the challenges being a mom is that your kids are constantly changing. They're developing new interests, new playmates. They're maturing. Their needs change. So you have to constantly be accommodating to that. Let me tell you about a struggle I had when my kids were little. And that is, like everybody else, I gained a lot of weight when I was pregnant. I wasn't used to it, and I was really uncomfortable. But I didn't know really how to address it. Because, you know, you're feeding your kids all the time. and the Life is, yeah, we've all been there. Everybody listening gets it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a couple of years, I kept trying to figure out ways to get myself to exercise. And I was working full time. I had two little kids. It just, it didn't happen. Until I realized that if this was important to me, it was something that I would have to make time for when my kids weren't around. And it couldn't be like after work because then the kids have playdates and they need to go to the doctor. And I decided that I would try getting up early in the morning. That was the answer for me. I got up at six. I went running because running is something you can do that's high payoff, low time. I was back by the time they got up and I could make them breakfast and I could get ready for work. They could get ready for school. It all worked out fine. But I couldn't do that in the daily chaos of family <laughs> life. Wonderful chaos, but yes, it, it was chaotic. And getting up at six in the morning is obviously not what I am prescribing here. Instead, I'm saying, you just need to figure out what is most important to you and then find the time in your day when you're most likely to be able to act on that goal, whatever it is. Everybody's life is different. Everybody's day is different. It just depends. But finding that time to meet your goal is important as a mom. So another question we got, and this actually comes up really nicely with your story, is people who come to us and say like, I used to be such a good runner. I'd go running every day and then I had kids and I just can't seem to build the habit again. Or we actually had someone in that seminar say like, I used to do a hundred squats a day and I'd break it out into like 25 squats four times a day. And it was like no big deal. But now I feel completely out of control and like none of my old habits work anymore. Do our habits evolve that way? Well, I would say that the people in your classes who are complaining about this, that they have a good foundation because they had a habit to do these activities at one point. It's just a matter of, so, so they have some of the habit memory already there. And it's really just a matter of figuring out where in their day they can structure these things. 
so that they become automatic again. But they're halfway there because they have the habit memory. It's not like me deciding to do a hundred <laughs> squats a day, <laughs> which would take a long time for that to become a habit for me at this point. For somebody who has that habit in their past, they're a, a leg up on figuring out how to do it again. They just need the right context and a little bit of unoccupied of personal time to figure that out. And keep in mind that once you do figure it out, that it's not a struggle anymore. You're not going to feel like you are having to fight off all of these other needs and these other things you should be doing. That's the beauty of habit. If you can automate it into your day, into your schedule, then it will become something that you just do. And I absolutely want to talk about forming new habits because I know there's so many people listening right now that are doing that at this point in the year. We all do it in January. We try at least to do it. But first, the habit memory sparked a question for me, which is changing bad habits, letting go of new habits. And this feels a little bit different than forming new ones is like getting rid of old ones. Does that habit memory stick around with bad habits? Like, How do we make sure that that doesn't click in later when we see maybe whatever old context triggers for a bad behavior? How do we, how do we get, change that context? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Habit memories stick. In fact, some researchers think that you never lose habit memories, that once they form, they'll always be with you. Sort of like the idea of if you learn how to ride a bike, you never really forget. That's a kind of a habit memory. The best thing you can do to try to control unwanted habits is to stop them from being triggered, is to actually control whatever the cue is that's activating the habit, the context cue that brings the habit to mind. If you're trying to stop buying stuff online, then make sure that you're not going to the websites where you're tempted to buy stuff. Focus on buying things for your family that they need, the things that are in your budget, go to those websites and avoid triggering the unwanted habit. Yeah, we actually talk about with online shopping, just going in and removing your credit card information so that there's at least a cue of, if you do end up on the website, like Amazon, right? A lot of people have trouble with Amazon, but they do still need to go to Amazon sometimes. And if it means they have to get up and walk and get their credit card and come back, at least it's a moment to remember like, wait, do I really want to buy this thing? Do I need a 15th pair of yoga pants? Like probably not. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's sort of the modern version of research that shows that if you have to pay with cash, you're much less likely to buy things than if you're paying with a credit card. Online retailers have made it even easier for us to automatically pay. You're right. You enter your credit card once and then you never really need to do it again on Amazon making sure that you're not automating purchases is really important. You want to give yourself time to think. I'm interested to see how that research changes as we get to be more and more of a card-based society. So something I've talked about in this podcast before is I'm actually the opposite. And cash feels almost like monopoly money to me, whereas a credit card, it has to come through the statement and I have to give it a line item in my budget. And so I'm way more aware of like, I'm going to have to look at this at the family budget meeting on Friday. <laughs> Do I really want to face it then? Whereas cash, it's like, well, it's just who will ever know where that yes. money went. <laughs> Not a good thing. Not a no. good thing, but it no. works. But but again, 
What that suggests is that for each of us, our habits are going to be slightly different. And what makes us stop and think is going to be slightly different. You have worked into your schedule, your weekly budget meeting, which forces you to be accountable for payments, electronic payments. (laughs) Whereas for most people, the electronic payments seem relatively invisible, whereas less cash seems more real. So you've managed to sort of re-engineer that, which is great. That's exactly what you want to do is you want to take back control of the automated influences on your budget so that you gain control of it yourself. Wendy, is there a bad habit that you've been able to change in your own life? Well, not exercising and eating too much. <laughs> I've already I've already self-disclosed that. Um, sometimes my diet, just like everybody else, my diet could use help. What I do then is I go to the grocery store and I buy lots of prepared fruits and vegetables. And they're more expensive. I usually avoid doing that. But if I'm trying to encourage myself to eat more fruits and vegetables, I want it to be easy. And I know I'm particularly likely to eat them if they're sitting there already prepared. I don't have to do anything with them. I just open the fridge and there they are. I try to think through when it's worth it to me to spend the money to buy things that are a little bit more expensive, but they're healthier and I know I'll eat them. So that's one of the strategies I use to try to clean up my own diet. Making things easy is great, but you you commented about everyone has issues with their diet sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a part right at the end of your book where you're talking about the impact of society on us breaking these habits and how we all kind of beat ourselves up about how hard it is to change some of these common habits, health and overspending, but that there's all these forces working against us. And so how do we acknowledge that and then still continue to try to formulate some form of life that we want, right? Take control of the habits that we can't take control of. Well, I think that you gave us a great example of that, which is your weekly budget meeting, that you have to figure out how people have engineered your options to make it easy to do things that benefit them, but not necessarily you. Figuring out how to re-engineer those so that you take back control, I think is really important. And we see this with electronic use, and a lot of people have challenges with their kids using cell phones all the time. Being on, <laughs> with our kids, being on, with ourselves. <laughs> yes, exactly. But but we worry about it more with our kids, being on social media all the time, playing too many video games. Figuring out how to take back control over the media is actually something that families can do. You can have periods of time where nobody has access, like at dinner. It's a very reasonable request to no one bring a cell phone to dinner so that you actually have to talk. Turn the TV off, sit and actually discuss your day. This was something that was really important to me when my kids were little, something they didn't always like, obviously. <laughs> but, but, but it's that kind of setting limits. You're not going to have kids who ignore a cell phone that's sitting in front of them. So you can't have it sitting on the table next to them. Instead, you have to turn off cell phones. You have to re-engineer what is activating you 
to pick it up and look at it, take back control. Mm, That's such a great point, taking control of our environment and our triggers for bad habits. Now, I want to ask you about how to form new habits. But before we do, let's take a quick pause to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mamas, talk about habits. I've used the same budgeting tool since my very first internship in college. This tool has been with me through every major life decision, reducing stress and helping me design a life I want. Sure, I've tried other systems just to see how they work, but none of them come close to matching You Need a Budget. You Need a Budget, or YNAB, operates on four simple rules that show you how to stop living paycheck to paycheck, get out of debt, and save more money so that you can spend your hard-earned cash on the things that truly matter most to you. It puts you in control and encourages you to actually align every dollar with your values. Looking to start a new budget habit for 2021? Look no further. You can start a free trial at YNAB, no credit card required, at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash YNAB. So let's talk about how to form new habits. For all the people with their list of things they're going to do in 2021, or at least till, you know, February, what do we do? So the first one that you talked about in the book was context. And this is very tied to what you were just saying about taking back control. But how does context play a role in building that, that relationship? We all know that people are more likely to do things that are easy. Setting up your context to make the desired behavior easier is probably the most effective thing you can do. And let me give you an example. Again, this is a health example, but it applies more broadly. This is a study that tracked people and their cell phones. We're all being tracked through our cell phones for all kinds of things. Um, tracked <laughs> Sorry, guys. people. I know it's true though. Tracked people and how far they went to a paid fitness center, how far they went to a gym. They tracked hundreds of thousands of people for two months. What they found is that if people went 3.6 miles to the gym, then on average, they went there five times a month. But if they went over five miles to the gym, they went only once a month on average. That's a really big difference for a small distance. You're talking about a couple minutes. Exactly. If we form a New Year's resolution to exercise more, probably the last thing we're thinking about is I need to find a gym close to home or I need to make it easy on myself. But It's one of the most important predictors of whether you will actually do it. When your resolve is starting to fade away at the end of January and through February, if it's easy and you've repeated it enough so it's starting to become automatic, you're going to keep doing it regardless. We focus on willpower, commitment, thinking all of the reasons why we should do something, how great it would be to actually have a budget under control to live within our means. But what makes that possible is figuring out how to set up the environments we live in so that that's easier. To continue your health example, I've tried to create a running, walking habit for a very long time, but I live in the Northeast and what I wake up and it's raining or it's cold and I don't go. And then all of a sudden I haven't gone for five days. And so a few months ago, we finally, after long time debating this, bought a, an exercise bike that's like 
literally at the bottom of the stairs. We walk into like our playroom, living room area and the bike is in, in the corner there. I cannot not see this bike. I have done the bike like 60 days in a row, like the first time because I walked down. I'm like, oh yeah, I should get on the bike now. <laughs> I have no excuses. And it was something that I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like I could just go walk outside, but it's so much just taking some of those small hurdles away, like weather, it made it so much easier. You hear similar stories, people who leave their running shoes by the front door. It reminds you, but it also makes it easy to put them on or people who keep their workout clothes clean in a bag in their car. It just simplifies things and gets you halfway there. I used to work for a major Wall Street bank and we had a gym in the building. And one of the crazy things that they did was there were workout clothes, socks, shorts, t-shirts, in the locker rooms. Like you could go, they had, they were ordered by size. You could pull them off. And then when you were done, you just jumped them in the laundry. There was no excuse. To work <laughs> out. It was like, you could even like borrow shoes. Most people just kept shoes in their lockers. But like, if you like forgot shoes, you could borrow shoes and just not having to do my gym laundry. I was like the most consistently besides when I was playing hockey in college, but like most consistently I worked out because they made it easy. So absolutely making it easy. What role does the people around us in our community, what role does that play in habits? People around you can cue certain behaviors so they can become the context for you doing certain things. You're probably most aware of that if you have friends who drink too much or eat too much or like to go on fancy shopping trips or spend too much money. Then you find yourself sort of cued by them, going along with them in doing things that aren't beneficial. But we have friends that cue good behaviors too. Again, because our habits are not quite as consciously accessible to us as our intentions and desires, we may not realize that those that they're cueing habits, but they do. And so finding people who share your monetary values, who share your goals, makes it much easier to go out, hang out with them, makes it easier for you to meet your goals when you're around people who are doing something similar. So you don't want an expensive shopping buddy if you are on a budget. Not a good thing. Yeah. We actually had a question from a woman in our community that I told I was going to be interviewing you. And she was like, it's a chicken or the egg question. It's like, does everyone who lives in Colorado, do people move to Colorado because they like to be outside or because everyone around them likes to be outside, they like develop a hiking habit. <laughs> like which of these things does it? Because obviously not everyone moves to Colorado. Some people are born in Colorado. But can we create a whole new window, a whole new viewpoint of our lives by changing the people that we're spending our time with? Absolutely, we can. The person you're speaking with is correct that <laughs> there are two forces going here, both people self-selecting as well as people being influenced by others. But there have been studies looking at, and particularly with exercise, looking at people's choice of where to live. And if you take people who want to live in the suburbs and drive a car everywhere, that's their goal. But they, for some reason, get stuck living in a more urban pedestrian environment, then they actually walk more. There is an effect of where you live and the people you're living with on your behavior. It's not just you choose where to live 
because you're comfortable there. So we're building new habits and that context is important. We're leaving our running shoes by the front door. We have a reminder to actually check our budget on a regular basis, whatever that context is. The next step you had mentioned in the in the research was repetition. And so what does that what does repetition mean in habit forming? It means that you should do essentially the same thing each time. If you have a desire to save money, then you want a standard budget, you want a standard way that you spend and a standard way that you hold yourself accountable to whatever your goal is and your plan and the people in your family. You want to be doing that essentially the same way each time. So having a family budget meeting once a week where you talk through how much people have spent and what made sense, what didn't, that's a great idea simply because that can become routinized. You don't have to even really make a decision to meet and talk about it. It just becomes something you do. So it becomes the shared concern. That is an example of something you've repeated in the same way often enough so that it can become your family's habit. Is it harder to develop like weekly or monthly habits than daily habits? I think oftentimes when people read about habits, they think they're supposed to do it every single day. And something like a weekly budget meeting, does it take longer to develop that habit? Habits are a memory system. They're a way of learning. The more times you repeat something, the stronger your habit is going to be. It's also the case, though, that the more consistently you repeat it, the stronger your habit will be. So you don't want to do it different ways. The more you repeat simple behaviors, the faster they're going to become a habit. The more you repeat more complex behaviors, it's going to take a little bit longer. Daily, weekly, monthly, that will determine how quickly you repeat, how often you repeat the behavior. And in that way, it can influence habit formation. But there's many other things that determine how fast you're going to form a habit too. So I wouldn't be turned off by the weekly or monthly possibility. We all have monthly and weekly habits, just like we have daily ones. For that repetition, for that consistency, if we're trying to set a, a habit where I sit down with my partner on Friday nights, like my husband and I do, and have our budget meeting, does it help to sit in the same place in the house or have the same snack or whatever it is that creates that even more outside consistency that has nothing to do with the meeting? Is that helpful in habit formation? Absolutely. And, and particularly if you and your husband don't normally sit there. So it becomes a place that you go when you want to talk about finances. Kind of like when you go to the office and you sit down at your desk in the office. It brings <laughs> We're not really doing that anymore. In <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> we may, some of, some people may in the future. Who knows? Yes, fingers um, crossed. Sitting down at a desk where you typically work, that brings to mind thoughts of working. I was down in Key West, Florida, before the pandemic started. And I got to go through Ernest Hemingway's house to see where he wrote. And he had this wonderful studio out the back where he went every morning. He wrote for like three hours. It was for him a very habitual thing, which it is for many productive writers. The writing itself, of course, isn't a habit. Your discussion with your husband won't necessarily, the content of it won't necessarily be a habit, but habits structure 
you getting there to have that discussion. Habits are sort of, I think of it as kind of an infrastructure to our lives, that you repeat things to the point where they can provide the basis for more thoughtful, creative activities. And this is more of a like neuroscience memory question. (laughs) So I don't know if you have an answer or, or this is just a crazy question. But are there certain things that make formation, memory formation faster, like auditory clues or taste clues or or smell cues that like make it more solid? I'm not explaining that exactly the way I want to, but <laughs> I think you might understand. We talked about the having unique cues. So you have a place where you sit with your husband to go over and, and you have a time where you go over your budget. So those are things that sort of set the context and activate thoughts of, okay, so that's Friday night. Let's start talking about how well we did this week. What you want is you want cues that are associated with the behavior and tend not to be associated with too many other things. And those will help to form a habit faster. So context, repetition, and then reward. What does reward mean in the context of habits? Yeah, most of us think of rewards in terms of money. <laughs> or food. Can I have an Oreo? <laughs> M&M. <laughs> rewards really are the experience you have when you do something. You could feel pride at saving money. You could feel smart at figuring out how to purchase things more cheaply. All of those things are rewards. People could be impressed with your abilities. (laughs) And that's another reward that we all respond to. And when we get those rewards, our brain releases dopamine, which is that feel-good chemical. It does a lot of things, but one of the things it does is it registers a reward that's bigger than we normally get. That release of dopamine helps to form habits. It ties together the context that you're in and the response you just gave that got you the reward so that you're learning these habit memories. It's kind of a boost to learning habits. And since we're talking about New Year's resolutions, rewards are really important to New Year's resolutions as well. There was a wonderful study done, not by me, by somebody else who... We'll forgive them for not being you. (laughs) (laughs) This is a great study. They asked people three months after New Year's whether they'd stuck with their New Year's resolutions. And they'd had people rate two things about their resolutions. First is how important and life-changing those resolutions would be. Would it really change your life? And second, how much would you enjoy that resolution? How much would you enjoy doing it? Would it be fun? Three months later, people didn't stick with the resolutions that are really important to them, any more than ones that were less important, which is kind of surprising because that's why we make New Year's resolutions, right? To change our life. So that should be the defining factor and whether you stick with it. But it wasn't. It was whether people enjoyed the behavior. And that's another simple thing that we forget as we're focusing on willpower and our goals and our decisions. We forget that we're just much more likely to repeat behaviors that are fun than ones that aren't. If you can find ways to make sticking with your budget not feel like self-denial, but be something that you're proud of and that 
you reward yourself for, but it has to be a reward right in the moment. Doing something at the end of a week because you're stuck with your budget doesn't get you anywhere. Instead, you have to feel good when you're doing the behavior in order for it to become a habit. And it has to be outsized, right? Like you said earlier, it has to be something bigger than what you would normally get. So it can't be something that you're already doing multiple times a week anyway and have it count as a reward. Exactly. It's the old idea that if your spouse brings you flowers every day, if they bring you flowers today, that's probably not going <laughs> to make a big difference in your life. But if they never do and they bring you flowers today, then that's pretty exciting. And that you'll remember. Absolutely. Okay. So outsize. And what are some examples of like small rewards? I know like the feeling of pride can be a big one, but if you need something, especially early on, that's more tangible of a reward, what are some things that can work in the moment? Obviously it can be different for different people, but. I really do think that you, you have to understand what's important to you. That could be the one benefit of having a friend who also is trying to cut back on spending. You could share that and you can share your strategies. And that's a way of sort of getting some positive reinforcement from doing it, particularly if you do it with them, because then you get the immediate feedback and it can feel good. Finding something that makes you feel good is the important thing. It's actually fun. We do in our Motivated Mama Society, people sometimes post wins and then everyone responds with like fun gifts, those little videos as a response. And it's just a moment of like something you might not uh, normally talk about because money can be so taboo, but you get to share the win and then you get to see everybody else send you something fun in that moment. It's like another way we've found to, to celebrate those things. We can't necessarily find another way to do it, right? To celebrate. And I bet that for your listeners and your members that just the expectation of being able to post something is as satisfying as anything else. So if you have figured out something that's a win for you and you know you're going to post it, that would be really fun. <laughs> I would bet that that's as much of a reward as the wonderful things that people send in. Wendy, any last pieces of advice for people trying to form new habits right now? Oh, I am just so impressed with any parents who are able <laughs> to, to keep healthy, productive, financially reasonable habits when their kids are little. Life is a bit random when they are. You just have to forgive yourself for not always sticking with what you know is the best thing. Just be there. Being there with your family is, is the thing that you're doing that's most important right now. And giving yourself grace. Yes, absolutely. All right, Wendy, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. So our sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Oh, dear. What is something you wish someone had told you about motherhood and parenting when your kids were little? Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to go for the obvious here, but it's obvious because it's so true. It's too brief and it's too easy to focus on the struggles and not on 
the enjoyment, but they're both really there for all of us. Being there in the moment, I think, is the critical thing for people. That's beautiful. Wendy, where can people follow up with you, find your book, and start to learn more about your work on habits? Well, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, and I'm easy to find online. All you have to do is Google Wendy Wood because faculty have their own web pages. I should come up at that point. And I respond to emails. I love hearing from readers and listeners. Fantastic. Mamas will have links to Wendy's website and Instagram, Twitter, and her book in the show notes. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. This was lovely. Oh, it's good fun. Great to talk to you, Chelsea. Mama's habits are so fascinating. They control an incredible amount of our lives, 43%. And those small things we do regularly compound into our big results. When we aren't aware of our habits and what drives our decisions, it's how we end up looking around after months or years and going, how did I get here? This wasn't the life that I wanted. I absolutely loved getting to hear Wendy's insights on habits and habit formation from over three decades of research. It was so helpful for how we think about changing our behavior, especially as moms who may feel like we're just putting out fire after fire all day long. Now, I know Wendy shared a ton of information and strategies. So as always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this conversation that you can use to change your own habits and meet your 2021 goals. First, we do what is easy. Make your desired behaviors as simple as possible. This is putting my bike shoes next to the bike. This is laying out our clothes, our workout clothes the night before. This is making healthy eating the obvious choice, making the snacks that we can quickly reach for ready to go. It's cutting up bell peppers on Sunday night so that you have snacks the first couple days that you can just pull out of the fridge. The easier we can make our habits, the more successful we'll be at them. This could go to your money as well automating good behaviors, transfers into savings, transfers to pay off debt that are automated, putting your budget notebook or your money planner next to the coffee pot. So every morning, it is the first thing that you see when you grab your coffee and you can sit down and spend five minutes on your money before you even start the day. Make your behaviors easy. The flip side of that, of course, is to make bad habits harder. Put obstacles in the way. If you have trouble with impulse spending, go listen to our Controlling Emotional Spending episode where we talk about putting barriers in place, removing credit card information from any online shopping accounts, putting that piece of sticky note over your card so you have to mentally do something before you can swipe that card. Those are the things that help you change behavior for the long term. My second takeaway is context. Not just the behavior matters greatly in habit formation. It's not just about doing the same thing. It's about doing the same thing in the same way. Wendy was talking about having a same place to sit, the same drink, the same scent, doing the exact same thing, especially if you can make it different. I drink from this cup when I'm talking about money. I wear these clothes when I work out. When I pull on this color shirt, I know I'm going for a run. And the more we can control and repeat the behavior as a whole, not the individual action, but also the experience and the routine, the more likely it is to develop in our brain as a true habit that we do automatically without having to have willpower and conscious thought to do it. And finally, your community and environment can help you build healthy habits. If you're surrounded by people who are making decisions like the ones you wanna make, 
you're making it easy. We go back to that first takeaway. We do what is easy, but it's also about reward. Are you surrounded by people that are going to celebrate those good behaviors that they want, that aren't going to try to encourage you to step away from your good habits, but are instead going to cheer you on, are going to do it with you, are going to be your accountability partner? Sometimes with habits and those rewards being in the moment, it gets hard to figure out, well, what is a good habit reward? And I was so excited when Wendy said just having the ability to post a win in the Motivated Mama Society group, which is open for registration right now, by the way, we opened today. But just being able to post that is a rush of dopamine as soon as we do the activity. Like, hey, I get to tell my friends who support me and have similar values as me that this happened and they're going to lift me up. And then that's an immediate rush of positive response. So find an environment, a community, a network that supports you. Ask friends to be your accountability buddies. Look for areas and communities where you can hang out with people who are doing the work that you're doing, like the Motivated Mama Society. You can reach your goals, but the more you make your community, your environment better, the more you surround yourself with things that make your good habits easier, the easier it's going to be to keep those habits. You can do this. You can rock 2021 and make it your best year yet. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Wendy again for coming on the show and sharing her valuable insight on habits with us, especially as we all set our goals and plans for the new year. You can find links to visit Wendy's website, buy her book, Good Habits, Bad Habits, and follow her on social media in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Wendy. If you want to join the Motivated Mama Society and really stick to those big goals, identify what you want in your life and make your money align with your values, visit us at motivatedmamasociety.com to join today. Thanks for hanging out with me. If you learned anything, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell a friend. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.